Hi everyone, it's Jenny and Lorraine back again. Hi. Hiya, how are you this week? Good, thanks. Good, and everything's still lovely and settled with Jamie, isn't it? Yeah, um, I've just been on Twitter and she was actually in a video that the school had put on. So, you know, when you see your own child, you're like, oh my God, that's my baby. <laughs> Yay, good. I'm so glad that's all worked out. It's fab. Um, so, yes, we've had a, had a bit of a problem this week because this week you should be getting Tom Tag's podcast, which we recorded a good few weeks ago now. But when we came to editing it, the sound quality is just not good enough. So it's kind of not worth sending out there because you wouldn't be able to hear all the valuable stuff that Claire was saying. So um, I've messaged them and hopefully we'll re-record that in the future. So we've shifted everything. So instead of Tom Tags, this week we're talking to Saskia Grassi, who's an occupational therapist in the northeast of England. Um, but you can still get a deal with Tom Tags, can't you? Yeah. I'll still post the discount. I mean, we've posted the discount before. Anybody who's in the VIC group or a subscriber will get 20% off their first order at Tom Tags. Fantastic. That's good to know. So, and we will get that re-recorded because there was loads and loads of fantastic visual tips um, and how to use visual aids. So we will get that done. But before we talk about what Saskia is going to chat about, what's happening on the page this week? Uh, well, this week we've got a community success story from Josh. Now, on Saturday, I think it is, it is the Autism Has Got Talent, and that's in London. And Josh has been with us since before Chewy Gem even started. He's more used to buying gummy gems, and he is going to Autism's Got Talent as a magician. So we've got his community success story, so that's going to be really good. Brilliant. And and, and his mum is a future podcast guest, isn't she? Yeah. So that'll so be good. Good luck, Josh, if you're listening. I'm sure you'll smash it. Yeah, so we've got uh, product reviews. We've got five tips from Five Cent Jamie. Jaden will be live on the VIC page. We've got B sign of the week. And on Wednesday, you can chat live with B in her world, we like to call it, because her world is just completely different to anybody else's. <laughs> um, the discount from Tom Tags, obviously. Yeah. And just general, everybody interacting. Great. Okay. So you're going to now listen to Saskia and I chatting. Saskia is just incredible uh, an occupational therapist with a real passion and interest in chewing she originally started life out in fashion and textiles actually and um, a good few years ago now she contacted us because she'd found us and was interested in what we did and so we've been working together for a few years now and we know her quite well don't we she's been yeah. to the autism shows and she's just a lovely lovely person and very talented and some of the, you'll see some slides that she does with her drawings on it and they're her drawings she drew them um so she's just amazing and i think you can get loads of brilliant tips from it so enjoy we love annette we love a chat we love to help and that's a fact so we have made it our mission to find stuff out from diagnosis and education slimming out of your frustration chat to folks who've been there too collect it together and share it with you if you know someone we should speak to send them our way and that's what we'll do we like to have our sensory natters you know what Hi everyone, it's Jenny back with another Sensory Matters show and today I have the great pleasure of chatting to Saskia who is a children's occupational therapist in the northeast. Hi Saskia. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm fine, sunny up here for a change which is lovely. Yeah, likewise, it's nice to see the sun out. Um, so Saskia and I have known each other quite a while, haven't we? Maybe coming up for three years? It is already, and it's gone very, very fast. Yes, very fast. absolutely. <laughs> um, so we thought it might be quite good if Saskia kind of told you how we came to be. How did Chewy Gem and Saskia get together? So do you want to start I, with that? I will. I've decided to do it as a story because it's a long and rambling story, <sighs> which I could go off on several offshoots and probably not tell you the real story. I'm going to start with a little person I made not so long ago. She's my avatar. She's got gray hair like me, but she's a lot young. She looks a lot younger. <laughs> uh, she's intended for an animation, which I haven't got around to yet. But I've used this Saskia to write a little story about how I got involved with Chewy Gem, which I'm going to tell you now. Okay. So if everybody can see this, this is a story which begins with an occupational therapist called Saskia and two girls who really love to chew. 
The girls had a preference for fabric and vinyl and regularly destroyed clothing and furnishings. Both girls also liked to fidget, explore and pull things apart. Some of the chewing behaviours were harmful, like swallowing chunks of upholstery, foam and vinyl. And some of the behaviours were disconcerting, like pink and sparkly poo. Saskia needed to find a solution to redirect the chewing whilst exploring the underlying issues. She began a process of rapid prototyping, trying out different ideas which were met with varying responses and fluctuating levels of success. This would eventually lead to an innovation project, but she didn't know it at the time. As an occupational therapist, Saskia was interested in whether chewing and fidgeting helped children engage in everyday occupations or created a barrier to eating, playing, learning, dressing, socialising, sleep routines and personal hygiene. Saskia's son had a habit of chewing to self-calm and she started to notice other children in mainstream schools who also demonstrated a need to chew. Sometimes the chewing and fidgeting seemed to help children focus but at other times, it looked like a full-time occupation in itself. She needed to find alternatives to the range of unsuitable objects used. Before long, an internet search led to the Chewy Gem website. With a background in fashion, textiles and costume, Saskia immediately appreciated their aesthetic appeal and wearability. She contacted Chewy Gem to discuss the texture and the density of various models. To her surprise, a package arrived in the post the very next day, full of Chewy Gem bangles and pendants. This sparked a conversation about sharing expertise to bring a new product to the market. Saskia had worked on designs and made prototypes which had gained recognition within the NHS. Chewy Gem had also been considering solutions to meet the same range of chewing needs. These were exciting times. But little did Saskia know that the hardest chapter of the innovation journey was yet to come. Oh no, the preferred materials could not be guaranteed safe to chew. Sample after sample after sample arrived, but none fitted the high spec required. Saskia started to dream of sample mountains, but was determined not to give up. With the support of others who believed in the quest, Saskia and Chewy Gem took a new path on the innovation journey and are traveling yet. And it's far from the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Okay, did you draw all of that? I did, yes. You're in the wrong job. You should be an, an illustrator. That's amazing. They're really good. I try. Yeah. I sometimes use illustrations to show children what I want them to do. And actually, I found myself yesterday in a meeting. I went to see a young chewer in a nursery I hadn't been to before. And I found myself quickly sketching on a piece of paper what I wanted them to do with the child. So it's, it's a useful thing to have. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, yes, it is exciting things. We can't tell you too much about it, but we are working on a project together. Um, and hopefully we'll solve what we're trying to solve in the future and we'll have something quite special for you um, to, to come. Um, but let's go back to uh, just chewing in general and how you became interested in chewing. I mean, you said your son has a bit of a chewing habit. So was there anything else that prompted your interest? I, several things all happened at the same time. Yeah, my son's a chewer, um, more so when he was younger. I worked, before I worked in mainstream schools, I worked mostly with children with learning disabilities. And the two girls who prompted the whole project in the first place were absolutely voracious chewers. And their chewing at the beginning really got in the way of things that they wanted to do and that their parents needed them to do. So that's what sparked trying to find different solutions. Not long after that, our team started to work. We all started sharing all the referrals we work with learning disabilities and mainstream students, which I found really interesting looking at that breadth of need. Mm. And I was more and more aware, I guess, because I've got a chewer in the family, that other children were showing the need to chew, but it wasn't necessarily being picked up. It certainly wasn't in the original and way back at the beginning of working in OT, we certainly didn't see it in the referrals. But awareness has been steadily growing, and now we get an extraordinary amount of referrals which 
have chewing in the referral. Okay. So it's just seeing that seeing a need and as an occupational therapist, I was very interested in whether the chewing was actually helping the children engage in the occupations. Well, we call them occupations or ac activities of daily living. So everything a child needs to do from the moment they get up to the end of their day, including sleep. Is chewing helping them do all of those things or some of those things? Or is the chewing such a voracious habit that it's getting in the way? And I see and have seen a mix of children and young people where they'll be at any one end of that spectrum. They might do mild chewing, which really helps them, say, go into assembly or get on the bus or study their maths or cope with a busy household at home with children and siblings shouting. And at the other end of the extreme, children are chewing six, eight, ten hours more a day. And it is a chief occupation in itself. It's almost like an addiction, which it pushes everything else out of their lives and they're not really interested unless they can chew. Wow. And they can't take things in. So I see, I guess as I'm more and more interested, I notice it more and more. And the more interested I get, the more referrals come my way. Yes. So it's, it's self-perpetuating. Yeah. So that's interesting. So originally you would see, you would get a, maybe a referral for something to do with a learning difficulty or something like that. And you would find chewing as a byproduct as part of that whole package when you met the individual. Yes. So the referral, now you're actually and now, getting one now it saying, might be. Sorry, Jenny. Yeah, now no, it might be at the top of the list. It might be at the top of the... We had, we had our referral meeting yesterday at work and several of those had chewing in the first couple of sentences of the referral. Wow. Whereas way back years ago, I might have gone out to, if I think of one of these young ladies, look at an adaptation within their home, look at a difficulty with bathing or getting upstairs or a moving and a handling issue. Mm. Uh, and then find out when I've gone to visit them that actually chewing is quite a big deal as well. Yeah. So how do you then, when you're presented with, with a case like that, how do you then dis make the decision as to whether this is a positive behaviour that could be embraced to help that individual concentrate or do an activity or one that is a hindrance to them? We carry out a very, quite a comprehensive assessment right at the beginning about the child's environment, who they live with, where they go to school, what their aspirations are, what their parents want for them. And then we look at the level they're functioning at at that time. So how they're managing in their day-to-day -day tasks. And then ask the parents and the child if that's appropriate, because some of the children are nonverbal, where they want to be. And then we look at that interesting gap in between okay. as to where they are developmentally or where they are in their lives right now and where the ideal is for them that they're working towards. Okay. And then we look at what's getting in the way. So is it their environment? Is it something internal? Is it something sensory? Is it their development? Is it a physical disability? What is that or are those elements that are preventing that child attain and be the best that they can be? So when we look at that complex mix, mm. that starts to tell me whether chewing is productive or if it's not productive. And I wouldn't, I don't usually go straight in and look at the mouth. I would look at other issues and particularly the child's environment. What's going on for them at home, at school, in the family car, even on public transport. Yeah. What can we change about their environment? And then that might work and that in itself might reduce the chewing. Mm -hmm. Then we might need to use some very specific sensory strategies, but we'd look more globally, not just at the mouth. Yeah. And if those work. And meanwhile, we might recommend things like, well, while we're trying all of these, try a chewy. Mm -hmm. But I don't always go in to use mouth strategies straight away. If I would never go in straight to do yeah. mouth strategies. Okay. So every so, child's different. They're fascinating. Everybody's completely different. Yes. And there is no one answer to fit each child. No. And if, if you were, could you do a sweeping generalization of, is it 50-50? 50% it's productive, 50% it's, it's not or is it more weighted in a different way? Or is that just impossible to say? It's very hard to say, but I would say from my work so far that more of it is productive if we fine tune it. Right. And a smaller percentage is completely, the chewing habits are completely unproductive. Mm -hmm. And most lie somewhere in that middle ground. Yes. Where if they chew appropriately during specific activities or times, and in a way that works for them and doesn't, something I have to look at a lot is whether it annoys peers, 
because I'm starting to gather just more informal evidence about how peers feel about chewing when there's a child right next to them's chewing. Mm-hmm. And especially if they've got an undiagnosed or undetected sensory issue themselves. So that's when it might be very productive for the young person themselves, mm-hmm. but it's completely unproductive for the child sitting next to them. So more and more I'm having, I'm having to consider that, which is really interesting. How do we manage chewing so it is productive? Yes. Um, but it doesn't get in the way of other people. And I had a lovely story from, um, as you know, I was brought up in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to an old friend who's in her 90s last time I was up and talking about projects and what I was doing within reasons because I can't share everything. Yeah. And she remembered way back into primary school, a child who used to suck the collar of her astrakhan coat. And she went into a wonderful story with actions and made the sounds of what this child sounded like. Mm-hmm. She still remembers it now in her early 90s. Wow. And she, she found that quite difficult. Yeah. So there is a balance between productive and, and non-productive. And that's where I really like to try and get that balance. Yes. What can we do? And that's where other, other sensory strategies sometimes really work. So we can build in things like chair press-ups or table presses, breathing. I use breath a lot, mm-hmm. so controlling breathing. And I've started trying to think of and look on the internet for lots of what I call secret strategies. Okay. So children, particularly in secondary school, can do something like pressing on their upper lip, pressing under their chin. So it's yeah. almost like a thinking pose okay. and they're pressing their knuckles together. Yeah. So they can think, but you're getting a lot of input to the mouth yes. without actually chewing. Yeah. And then things like putting the tip of your thumb in between your teeth, mm-hmm. pushing up to the top tooth. Mm-hmm. And then if wanted, just firmly suck on the tip of your tongue while it's making no noise whatsoever. Mm. And you can actually sit and look at the board and it looks like you're not doing anything, but you're yeah. giving yourself lots of lovely yeah. input all around here. That would make a really interesting top tips blog on secret strategies. I think that would be a really good thing to explore. Mm, um, yeah, absolutely. So in terms of schools, one, one of the things that our community constantly come back to us about is they say that schools can be quite reluctant to allow chewing or encourage it or allow a tool in the mm. school to um, support that. Do you see those barriers or by the very nature that you're the professional and you're in there, it's kind of accepted? There is a huge variety across the northeast of England. Some schools are very, very welcoming and very open. And mm-hmm. some schools have even where children have, you know, their families have been struggling financially, have even bought chewies for the children to help mm-hmm. when we've discussed why it might be useful in the classroom. Once schools have seen it working mm-hmm. and they've seen that it's not got in the way, the child hasn't used it as a weapon, once the other kids in the class have taken an interest, had a feel, so say, you know, a bangle, had a squish and a twist and a look, yeah. then they know what it is and then they, they don't feel they want to steal it or yeah. throw it across the classroom. Because what most teachers, a lot of teachers, not most, a lot of teachers say to me is, oh, everybody will want one. It's going to be used as a missile Um, it's going to distract everybody else. Mm -hmm. Now, all of those things can be true, Mm -hmm. but it's how we manage it in the classroom. So I like to have a strict protocol and agree that with the child and with the family. If it's used as a missile, it'll go behind the teacher's desk. If it's Mm -hmm. used as a missile again, then it gets taken away for the rest of the day. And sometimes Mm -hmm. having that strict structure in Mm -hmm. place will prevent further difficulties arising. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just aware things are flicking up on my screen. Are they showing at your end? No, can't see a thing. Good. Yeah. That's all right. Um, so, so, yes, the teachers, are, I find it with more education actually is improving. And I'm working on a project now, which again, it's another secret project, which I can't really talk much about. <laughs> but it's again, it's about raising awareness in schools and raising awareness of the, all the positive benefits of yeah. chewing. I have noticed some schools have started banning pencil cases on the desks, which is really tricky for my fidgeters and chewers. Now, I don't know if this is happening across the country, Mm. and I'd love to know if it's happening across more areas. But what I understand from the two schools I've been into in the last month is that large and increasingly full pencil cases with lots of brightly coloured rubbers Mm. and fluffy things and little characters are very distracting to the child and other kids. Yeah. 
But it's really tricky because it's often where I ask children to keep their chewy or yeah. keep a visual distraction or a fidget or attach something to the zip. So again, with education, it's seeing what works and what we what we can make work for the whole class. Yes. And every teacher is different and their experiences of sensory input are different too. Yes. So from, from our community's point of view, I'm thinking of people who maybe haven't yet managed to engage the support of an occupational therapist, but they feel their child needs something in school to help. Um, so they haven't got that professional backup behind them saying this child needs this and that kind of professional relationship, um, two-way relationship. So if, if you were speaking to a, another parent and saying, okay, you've not got your occupational therapist yet, or that may never happen, but you want your child to have this in the school, what, how would you suggest they approach it with the teacher to convince them to give it a go? What, you know, if you were to say, mention these points or pitch it this way and you might have more success I think that's probably the vast majority of children because uh, there aren't enough occupational therapists in the country to go around whether AHS or or private and not everybody has access to one and not all occupational therapists work on chewing Chewing. Um, but there are so many people out there who do need to chew Mm -hmm. I would suggest Writing, writing things down before you approach school so that you've got it settled in your head for yourself, even if you don't show those notes to the teacher yes. or the Senko, so that you have clear in your head why you think chewing helps your child. I think it's always better if the child can say it in their own words. Yep. So I need, when I chew, it helps me focus, concentrate. Uh, It helps me block out perhaps smells Mm -hmm. or sounds other children are making. So the positive things, it helps me block out these. It helps me be less anxious. It helps me keep my mouth busy. It keeps my hands busy. And it helps me listen to what you're saying. Mm. So very concrete and very, because again, because I'm an occupational therapist, very functional. And teachers like that as well. If, If you're telling them you need to fidget or chew, to help with a specific task, and here we're talking about academic attainment and education, Mm -hmm. it's much more effective, it's much more powerful. Yeah. And I think where teachers struggle is if they suddenly get bombarded with a lot of sensory information, because some teachers have sensory training or might have done a bit or might Mm -hmm. have done some autism training, some sensory is part of that. Yeah. Some teachers might have a special interest. They might well have a child of their own who's got additional needs. Yes. Or they might know somebody and have a best friend who's uh, an occupational therapist or a physio or somebody with those interests. But a lot of teachers don't. Mm-hmm. So bam- I think they often feel bamboozled with a lot of sensory information. Yeah. So I would suggest keep it very functional. If teachers have got a, a query about how effective chewing is to perhaps do their own internet search mm-hmm. um, to back up what the parent's saying ask for a trial period yes so this this is the chew i'd like to use in school i would also strongly suggest that parents always pick one the color of the school uniform yeah. so if your sweatshirt's red go for a red bangle or a red pendant mm-hmm. my experience is still that schools are more reluctant to have pendants even though they've got a breakaway class yeah than a bangle yeah now, my, also my experience as an OT is that kids often like to just hold the chewy appendant in their mouths while using both hands for a task. Mm-hmm. So they can actually just park it. Yeah. A young person at the moment who's using one of your toggles mm-hmm. on a pendant and just parks it yeah. here while they, and they can put, use both hands. Yeah. So if your child really likes a pendant then maybe explain the benefits of that and how they can still use their hands. And if they like a bangle, that it can be tucked. This is a huge advantage of a bangle, but you can do it with a pendant as well as hide it. Yes. And with your cords, they blend it. They, again, they blend into the uniform. Yeah. Other, whichever brand you're using, it can be tucked away. Yes. I would also say to parents to tell school that they've instructed their child to keep it out of sight when it's not being used. Yeah. So it's not a distraction. Yeah. Yeah, so that's quite, great. Quite a quite a few points there, but I think I find that when parents have done that themselves, then it helps, and it's the approach I use as well. Yes. Um, even if I'm going in as a professional role, I keep it very functional. Yeah, no, that makes sense, definitely. Um, so also, I've seen it, but tell us about the video you did, the Chew the Right thing. 
Ah, it's a couple of years ago now, but I'm still very proud of it. It's the first little film I've ever made. Uh, it's just under five minutes long. I made it when I did a six-month, I went on a six-month project run by the R&D Northwest NHS Trust over Manchester Way. And we spent six months working with various artists to learn how to share research results and gather important information, but in a really engaging and creative way. And it was during that period that I made this little film, Chew the Right Thing, which taught me an enormous amount. Um, it's the first time I've filmed, mm -hmm. but it was a fabulous, it educated people while I was making it. It educated me while I was making it because I had to think, well, what's important? Mm -hmm. What am I trying to say? It incorporated the results. We did an initial little survey at the autism show a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the shoot, when, I was, when I was working with you and we did a presentation, but it was quite near the end of the day. So we didn't get that many respondents. It was only 20 plus. Yeah. But we incorporated those really important comments into this little film. And I got children involved. Um, so we had, including my own son, so we had children involved in making it. I did some of the filming in schools. And we also filmed a puppet chewing on the local bus going into town, which was great fun. Went with yeah. an occupational therapy student. And I had lots of people saying to me, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Mm -hmm. Tell us more about chewing. Um, so it was fascinating, great fun to make. Yeah. And we showed it at the conference, which was called Edge Walking. It was all about sharing uh, information in a creative, engaging way. So it's not just big, dusty research papers that are only meaningful to academics. It's yeah. about sharing really important clinical information with everybody in a way that everybody can understand. So we first, the little film was sent round to all the early years provisions in my local area, mm -hmm. uh, and it was put up on YouTube, and I had lots of positive comments. It introduced the innovation project, mm -hmm. but it was a lot about, about chewing itself as well. And I assume it's still on YouTube? It's still on YouTube. So yes. go search Nowhere. Chew the Right Thing and you'll find it and you can watch Saskia's little film. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoy it if you do. I'm sure they <laughs> it will. Was great fun to make and it, it sparked off all sorts of other ideas. So it's it's been a really useful process and great experience. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, one of the other things that you've done is, is do a, a survey on chewing. So tell us a bit about that. We did. We put a survey on uh, SurveyMonkey, um, which was entitled How Do You Chew? to get a really good idea of the widespread of chewing habits and the widespread of things that people chew. And this came out of the questionnaire that was originally used at the autism show. So it was fine-tuned. The original questionnaire gave me lots of ideas how to phrase the questions for the new one. So what I really wanted to find out was how helpful chewing was to people or whether it was hindering occupations and whether it was a health concern. So we looked at all of those things. The results show very, very strongly that emotion for most people is very strongly linked to chewing. And 80, in the high 80% of people chew more when they're anxious, when they're stressed, when they're nervous. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I've got, some, I've got some of the results here because it came up with, it was a really useful survey because it came up with lots of information. And I would love at some point to take this further into some research. So we had 76 people replying, which was a great response, but mm -hmm. two thirds of those were male. Mm -hmm. The age group I remember was from between about three and 43, with mm -hmm. the majority being between ages three and 15. Um, wide range of conditions. A lot of people on the autism spectrum, some people with no diagnosis, ADHD, OCD, um, OCD anxiety, some with developmental delay. There was quite a wide breadth of mm. underlying issues that might be linked to chewing. Uh, we were looking at what people damage. We were looking at the textures that people chew and a huge whopping 85% damage their clothing, which is really significant. And I would say that's pretty much on a par with in my day-to-day -day work that clothing is one of those huge ones. The next people, the next group of people, the concern was around comments from other people. And again, I get this in my day-to-day -day work. Mm. I've, I don't want him chewing when somebody else can see. I don't want him chewing on the bus, trying to get around those things. 
Damage to property again was high and health concerns and increased saliva were also quite high on the list. So children drooling a bit more because they were chewing. Mm. We looked at a huge range of, and I'm just glancing at my notes here, but we looked at a huge range of what non-edible things children chew. And there were adults as well, but mostly children here. So I've broken them down into some basic groups because there was a huge, huge range. And that's what I see in my everyday work, yeah. that the range of things children chew. And we're talking not we're not talking about appropriate chewies here. It's the other stuff, yes. the stuff that's worrying for their parents or could get ingested and, and be a danger and a risk. So masses of soft things. I say the vast majority are things like bedding, cushions, clothing, hoodies, strings, towels, ponytail bands, seat belts, yeah. um, a few more, a few with carpet. Muslin tags are a real popular one, tags on clothing. And then we've got a much smaller percentage of things that fall apart. So book covers, tissue, toilet tissue, paper, book pages, soft card, things that are going to mulch. Yes. And then when they mulch in your mouth, they change texture and the children hold that texture there. Things that give a bit of resistance and are flexible. So favourites are handbag straps, plastic toys, rucksack straps, uh, cooking equipment, like spa things like spatulas, toothpaste tubes. That's one I come that came up in the survey and it comes mm. up in my work. The ends of a well-used toothpaste tube. <laughs> spouts of beakers. I can't count how many yeah. hundreds of spouts of beakers must go. Um, and plastic weapons is a favourite one. You know, those sort right. of bendy medieval swords. Yeah. They seem, seem to be a good favourite. There are lots of the really the favourite hard ones. These are often ones we see in school, the pens, pencils. I've got, I've got a child who can strip all the paint off a pencil within the first 20 minutes of class. Wow. He's given a new pencil and he can just, he can literally strip it. Um, but all of that's going, going into his system. I know. Uh, other hard things, TV remotes, bottle caps, tin cans, tin cans, of course, are a worry. Uh, things like door handles, which are often licked as well, but I have seen children put their whole mouth around a door handle wow. um, and, and hold it there for quite a time. Coins, which are obviously a risk for swallowing, buttons, jewellery, um, long and thin things. Some of these are very risky, plugged in cables, which comes yes. up more often than I'd like to hear. Headphone cables, lolly sticks, which can get stuck at the back of the throat. Mm -hmm. um, straws are a favourite as well chewing straws mm -hmm. which i've heard recently um plastic straws are going to be banned yes i heard that too one of my favorite therapy tools oh. gonna have to find other things i know then lots of rubbery things poster putty silicon utensils things are rubbery give a bit of bounce in the mouth um dummies soothers lego car tires i hear that one a lot yeah. and it came up in the survey Crunchy, there's less crunchy in the survey, and I guess in my work I see less crunchy, but things like plastic bottles, ice shards, um, and plaster, um, you know, building building plaster, which crumbles and crunches. And then, of course, there's chewing themselves, nails, cheeks, lips, arms, other people, hair, which can get ingested in hairballs. All of these came up in the survey. I'm going to put my very long list away, which I needed my prompt for. Uh, and then we looked at the chewing styles. Mm -hmm. So with all of those objects, how are they chewing? So to give Again, to give us an idea of what's most helpful to people. And as I expected, most people like to have the object partly in their mouth and then hold on to it. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a pendant holding on to it, yeah. um, all the unsuitable things they often want to hold and a significant proportion like to pull mm -hmm. while they're chewing on it as well, which of course gives you extra pressure into your mouth if you're pulling. Yeah. Most people bite into the back teeth mm -hmm. and that is where your bite is the strongest if you think about how we chew yeah. we crunch down with our incredibly powerful chewing muscles into our back molars so we can chew mm -hmm. and we've got a very powerful muscle here mm -hmm. I'm pointing to my cheek from sort of the top of my jawbone down to my chin mm. we've got a really powerful muscle that pulls the bottom of the jaw back up, which is incredibly strong. And it works with a massive muscle called the temporalis, which is right over this area here. And I'm touching the side of my head above my ear. It's a very big muscle that works together with the one that closes your mouth. And this is why I people like to chew at the back of their mouths because you're getting that huge pressure. Mm -hmm. If you chew at the front, you're getting slightly less pressure. Mm. Um, we had some. We had forty-five percent chewing with the front of their teeth, and I often see that combined with a pull. 
Um, yeah. And it's hard to tell from the survey because we allowed people to give more than one answer. How many of those front biters are pulling on the object as well? But yeah. I would suspect quite a few. And then we asked them about whether their chewing changes depending on mood. Mm -hmm. And roughly half said, just over half, I think, said yes. No, 64% said yes. But the rest, which, so, which is a high percentage, uh, said no, no difference. Uh, and some said they needed a different texture. So the emotions, I'm, also, I'm very interested in the emotions. Because yeah. obviously, if we're anxious, if we're stressed, uncertain, frustrated, if we're angry or bored, we can't concentrate and then mm -hmm. we can't do the tasks that we want to do. So the survey asked particularly about if there are any emotions linked with the need to chew. And people, again, were allowed to tick several things, but anxious was 82%, which roughly correlates with the autism survey that I did the little film about. Yeah. And I would say strongly correlates with my day-to-day -day work. And then in order, we had stressed. Again, people may be using a different word for anxious. Again, that was 79%. And then going down the list in order of get the list, the percentage gets lower as we go down the list. But yeah. uncertain, concentrating was high up there at 59% if they want to concentrate. Frustrated, half of the respondents would chew when they're frustrated. A little less than 50% when they're afraid. Quite a lot when they're trying to relax. They do it to relaxing activity. And excited, I see a lot of chewing when people are overexcited um, or bite, particularly biting, yeah. a really excited response and they just desperately want to sink in their teeth into something as if trying to modulate themselves by clamping down. Yeah. Some when in pain and less when in discomfort. Um, we also looked at if people had tried to come up with their own solutions mm -hmm. um, and we had a few things like jump rope and muslins, cold wet flannels, which mm -hmm. is something I often suggest, teething toys and of course we had a vast array of proper chewies that people are using yeah. have tried different textures. Um, Styles do change, and I've noticed this, this my, again, my work matches the survey that I do find that people need more than one chewy. They might want cloth one day and silicon another day. They might want something with a really hard bite, and then they might want something with a lot more bounce. Yes. So I'm always encouraging parents and schools as well. You know, if that doesn't work, if you've tried a bangle of a certain density and it doesn't work, it doesn't mean that nothing's going to work. Yes. Yeah, we say that too. Yeah. I think it's really important and that it can change during the day. They might get home and yeah. want one texture, wake up in a furious mood and want something that they can really, really bite into um, and shake about in their teeth. And then at the end of the day, something they can have a sort of almost contemplative munch. Yeah. So the survey results have really supported that. So I use that in my teaching now much more to say, well, look, we've done a survey and yeah. try something different. And they might... This young person might want the thing that they liked a month ago in two yes. weeks' time. So don't throw them away. No. Hang on, to, hang on to things. Don't throw them away and say that just didn't work. So what, what's the main outcome, would you say, from the survey? Why, why does it matter? What, what does it tell us? What's the key message from it? I think the key messages from the survey are that it can be really helpful, that people will find their own solutions whether they're the right ones for them or not, and that some of them can be dangerous so that we need to be able to redirect chewing mm -hmm. to things that are suitable if that person actually needs to chew. I think, again, it reinforces that sometimes chewing can be very beneficial and that people aren't doing it for hours and hours on end. Mm -hmm. And in that case, we need to support, we need to educate the people around that child or young person, or indeed adult, mm -hmm. to say this is why chewing really helps. And to use some of the words like this helps me go into a different environment. This helps me not chew my nails because part of the survey asked, well, how does it help? What does it, what does it help you do? that you couldn't do if you were chewing. So go into a different environment, cope with the smell. So I think it's really important to have a whole language around chewing as to why does it help you function in day-to-day -day life. And again, that's the occupational therapist in me, yeah. wanting to know how people function in their day-to-day -day lives. Because we're occupational, we're human beings. Yeah. We're, we're designed to engage with life, to be sociable, to do things, to use our hands, to learn. Um, that's what makes us human. Yeah. And if chewing helps that, that's fantastic. But if chewing 
some of some of the respondents choose six hours or more a day and I've certainly worked with children who chew in excess of 12 hours and want to chew during the night as well if it's a block for that person then I think what the survey really reinforces is that we need to find other ways to captivate that child why are they chewing for so many hours are they bored do they not have the skills can we get these young people really skilled up in something that fascinates them, something that captivates them, that they feel productive at, that they feel they can do at a developmental level that's suitable for them. What's going on for the young person that chewing is completely taking over their lives and can we change it? So it's still going back to what we talked about way back yeah. at the beginning. Is it helpful or is it getting in the way? And I think we need a whole chewing language. Yes, definitely. Um, that becomes mainstream that we yeah. can the parents feel really confident going into school and saying this will help my child function because yeah i think a lot of parents and certainly when i started talking about chewing to people i felt anxious about how do i get this across yeah without it sounding a bit crazy yeah. why why on earth does chewing help Yes. But because I'm so, well, I, I guess I'm almost obsessed with it and passionate about it, as I think you can tell. Yes. <laughs> My own language has increased and I've wanted to learn more about the chewing muscles and I'm fascinated at just how strong the chewing muscles yeah. are. And to be, explain, be able to explain to a teacher, well, you know, even when we're born, the most we've got the most sensation in our mouths because that's how we discover our world. We mouth things to learn about our world. Yes. So of course it's important. Yeah. And people sometimes look at me and go, oh, oh yes, yeah. well, I see what you mean. And you know, I think the survey really, really reinforces that that we need to, to get that idea out, but without yeah. sounding anxious about it ourselves. I know, yeah. <laughs> Not always easy. But it's interesting when you say, um, I suppose you're saying if someone's chewing for, you know, six, seven hours a day, if that is not preventing them doing activities and it allows them to do activities, that's OK. It's when that's all they want to do. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. So it's not so about if, reducing the time of chewing. It's just whether the chewing helps or hinders. Absolutely. Yeah. So if the only way for that young person or, or adult to engage with what they want to engage with is through chewing, yeah. and that involves hours of chewing, then it's helping them be functional. I would say a little proviso with that is just make sure that it's not hurting their jaw, they're not getting a clicky jaw. Mm -hmm. um, make sure it's not affecting their health in any other way and obviously not ingesting things or swallowing yes. things. So once you've dealt, taken the health equation out, out yes. and also if they're chewing that long, just ruling out, you know, especially if they're nonverbal, have they got any pain in their jaw? Is that why they're chewing so long? So rule out pain, discomfort any negative reasons why they might be chewing that long yeah. so that the, we know that the chewing even though it's for those many hours is positive chewing yes and not to try and overcome pain or a complete inability to cope which we might be able to deal with in a different way yeah so even if it is helping somebody engage i would still strongly suggest that people look at their environment what yeah. what is it that's perhaps leading to that amount of chewing yeah. Can we change anything else that might just gently reduce it a bit? Because chewing for that many hours, it is tiring. It's tiring and you must get um, dehydrated from yes. the saliva that you're using. That of, often occurs or often a lot of excess drool that makes their mouth very sore. Yeah. Um, and also, of course, can make clothes very wet and uncomfortable. Yeah. So although if chewing for hours and hours helps people engage, I would always look in the wider environment. Yeah, that and makes see, sense. Is there anything else we can do? Can we provide heavy pressure? Can we provide a quiet space? Yeah. It, are they studying next to somebody's voice? They can't, just mm -hmm. cannot tolerate the pitch of that person's voice. Um, do they need their own space? What What is it that might help? So it's, yeah. all a, it's a lot of detective work. Yes, yeah. <laughs> a lot of detective work. So what, what is the most frightening thing you've ever come across that someone's been chewing? Oh, my word. There have been quite a lot of frightening things. Um, light, a light bulb 
comes very high Ooh. up on this. So sucking, this is a this is a young person who licked window panes, which again mm-hmm. is quite common. Yeah. Um, licked doorknobs um, would hold things in their mouth to absolutely fill the whole cavity because they didn't have, their sensory system wasn't telling them where their mouth was in space. So okay. they just weren't getting enough feeling. Um, but this young person put a whole light bulb in their mouth because they loved, they moved from ball pool balls which they like just cramming their face yeah. to um, holding glass. I mean, fortunately, on that occasion, it didn't shatter. But that, to me, is absolutely terrifying because the implications of a shattered light bulb are obviously yeah, massive. Huge. Yeah. Um, and electricity chewing things that are plugged in. Yeah. And another really worrying one, which I guess is something for people to be aware of, because with our voracious chewers, I always try and say to, well, I always do say to schools and home, make sure your environment is as safe as possible. Pick up unexpected things. But one child was chewing on um, empty medicinal tablet wrappers, you know, the kind with oh, the little yeah, bubbles yeah. for the pills. Yeah. Uh, and licking out each little cavity. Um, but when you think of what might be in those yes. um and it wasn't for them it was somebody else's medication but they were one who liked the crackle the pop the very satisfying crunch you could yeah. see why they liked it yes um, but it was the residue yeah um, and on that occasion the family hadn't actually thought they picked it out of a waste paper basket so it was it had been thrown away yeah they fished it out oh sparkly shiny silver and oh look it's good to explore with my mouth yeah. Um, so that's quite scary too. And, and children, of course, do have. I've worked with kids who've had to have operations to remove hairballs um, and other things from their digestive tracts, like coins and yeah. things that can cause blockages. Um, yeah. It fortunately, in my case, loading. Even though I like getting all of the chewers and the fidgeters, it is a very small proportion. But it is scary and terrifying for the parents. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so I mean, I could talk to you all day, but um, I'm sure everyone would get fed up of us chatting all day. So let's finish up with some kind of oral sensory motor strategies that people could take away um, that they could implement into their own lives. Okay. Well, there's lots. And again, I've put, if you see me glancing up, I've put a list in front of me because there's so many things that I do with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many things that you can do. Uh, so perhaps if we start with, I often use toys. Toys are great. Actually, I have brought a few. So if you can see them on camera, I'll describe them for those of you who are listening. I use, I do use a lot of toys with the young, younger people, not so much with secondary age children, but with the younger ones. So things like um, a bubble volcano. Now, I haven't brought one of these to show you because they make a tremendous mess. Um, <laughs> But if you use a yogurt pot, mm-hmm. you put some soapy liquid inside it like you would for blowing bubbles, mm-hmm. but perhaps a little bit wetter. Put a piece of old flannel, thin, the thinner the better. So really old flannel you'd be using as a cleaning rag over yeah. the top with an elastic band. Pierce the top with a straw and then blow. You'll get mm-hmm. the most fabulous bubble mountain whizzing up through yeah. the flannel. And then it spills down the side and it's a wonderful blowing activity. I use things like party blowouts to knock things down. So if you make a little tower of paper cups or plastic cups and blow them down with a party blowout. Zog seals. Now, I have got one of these. For people who don't know, if you go swimming with your child or even mm. in the bath, can you, can you see that in the yeah, camera? Yeah, I can see that. If you blow at them, you have your mouth has to be at the level, same level as this edge piece. Yeah. But then they flip over if you manage to blow it ah, and show the other side. And they're okay. fantastic in the swimming pool. And while you're t- teaching a child to blow, you can just tip it over with your fingers so that they've got some sense of success, even if they haven't blown hard enough. Okay. Simple plastic toys like whizzy, whizzy lips, which make yeah. them great. I shall blow. And you can use those for sucking as well. Yes. There are fewer activities sucking, but you can suck and get the same crazy noise. Mm-hmm. This is a wonderful one from Dad Lab on YouTube. I, I have ne- not met a child yet who doesn't laugh at this. Paper cup. Yeah. Straw through the side. Some of you might have seen this. Commodore Garden rubber glove. <laughs> attached with an elastic band and I'll try and get it so you can see it. what I'm going to do for those of you who are listening is blow through the straw that's in the paper cup and the um, rubber glove's going to expand <laughs> and really? then when you 
When you're blowing increases in strength, you can blow really hard and the rubber glove shoots off across the room. Um, and I've had young people play that for hours. So thank you, Dad's Lab, for that brilliant, yeah, great completely tip. crazy idea, mm -hmm. which I, I love things that are cheap and recycled. I think those are great. Yeah. Boys love fart whistles. <laughs> so blowing through, but I'm culturally inappropriate for some of my children, but... Um, a lot of the young boys like that and the yeah. girls have to say so other things i'm glad i'm glancing at my list things like harmonicas mm -hmm. uh, water whistles bird whistles that you can use in the bath blowing bubbles in the bath with smoothie straws now i like straw i know that straws are going to be banned mm -hmm. but you can get reusable straws and curly straws i use a lot of there's a sainsbury's curly straw but yeah especially at this time of year all the supermarkets do them so they're still going to be around so you can blow through them suck through them different colors liquids through them blow in the bath through them wider straws uh, can be easier because you don't need quite so much yeah control around them whereas a narrower straw you need more lip control a shorter straw is easier to suck through than a longer straw is so I have a variety of straws um, at your disposal so you can play blowing games with the straws blowing I love sparkly pom-poms the kind that you can get in um, places like Hobbycraft sparkly pom-poms and a strip of sticky tape down your table or mm -hmm. even better on your floor mm -hmm. so children have to lie long ways on their tummy uh, with their elbows propped because you're getting lots of lovely calming deep pressure through your body mm -hmm. and you're, you're really working on the muscles to hold your head up mm -hmm. and blow pom-poms down a path <clears throat> and you can compete with a friend or you can blow them at like a tabletop football across a tabletop at somebody yeah things like straw rockets so again blowing through the straw you just make a little paper sleeve and you can decorate it beautifully make yeah. sure it's loose enough and then just blow so it shoots across the room yeah I like to play that as a non-competitive game where they're um, competing with themselves. So where did they last shoot it to? Can you better that? Can you blow it a bit further um, than you did last time? Any kind of blow, any, I'm just going to put that down, any kind of um, harmonicas, whistles, train whistles, any of those kind of things are great yeah. for house control. So then I'm just saying I'm glancing up at my list. Um Food strategies, I like to, and I did bring one. Well, this is an experiment, hilarious. I got my son to try it this week. I read something up about freezing um, coconut water, which is apparently very good for you because it balances your electrolytes. So I've read, um, mm -hmm. I have to read up more on that. But freezing things in this kind of pop silicon popsicle yeah. container, um, and this one has gone a bit, because I've had it defrosting. So when you push them up, you can actually get them right to the back of your teeth mm. um, because it's long and thin. Yeah. Now, I loved the coconut water because it was sweet and salty at the same time, very cold. Um, and my son thought it was absolutely the most disgusting thing he'd ever tasted. <laughs> so what I'd say for popsicles, which are fantastic if you need more input, is find a flavor that you or your child likes. Yeah. Um, Caution with lots of sugary things because obviously it's going to be in their mouths for a while. I like using things like a drop of peppermint mm -hmm. um, cake flavoring or one of child loves rose, rose water. So flavor them with rose water or orange water and then it's actually not bad for their teeth. Yeah. Um, I've got a teenager at the moment who loves um, decaf coffee frozen. So only a tiny bit of milk, but their pops, popsicles are decaf coffee, which is a little bit more grown up. Yeah. I've done it with ice cubes. You know the little um, gold and silver sugar stars for putting on cakes. Yes. If you drop, if you make get an ice cube container that's got a more roundy bottom rather than very square because it's mm -hmm. kinder to the mouth, and drop one little sparkly star into each ice cube, it makes a very pretty ice cube. Right. There um, you go. So making things pretty, making things flavoured. Um, strong flavours to excite the mouth. Mm -hmm. So mint, chilli, things that are sour, sour yo-yos. I've got a lot of children who are loving, loving those at the moment, particularly the ones that are very citrusy and just really wake up the mouth. Yeah. Um, a lot of your readers or um, viewers will probably know about chewy foods. So picking things like beef jerky, yeah. um, 
fruit licorice, although that one does stick in your teeth, so dentists aren't very keen on that. Mm -hmm. um, make, there are lots of recipes online for making your own fruit leather, so you can pick your own fruits and don't put any extra sugar in. Mm. Um, I can't tell you amounts because I gather every fruit is different depending on the amount of natural sugar and what kind of fruit, but I would suggest you look online for your own fruit leather um, recipes and maybe right. have a go. They just need slowly, slowly drying out, but I, I do understand from reading lots of things about them, it is a you know, trial and error, but it's yeah. um, usually more cost effective than buying at the shops. And then you've got no extra additives in, in them. Right. Um, popping, popping candy is extreme. So if somebody's <laughs> really seeking extreme input, then yes. sherbets and popping candy. Um, other things that wake up the mouth are crun crunchy foods. So we use those. Yeah. Chewing gum. Um, so I've been more about chewing gum recently. Schools don't like it, mm -hmm. but I've got a lot of kids who do chew for homework and do like it and their parents say it works yeah. I would always pick a minty flavour mm -hmm. because the fruity flavours although some kids might like it better can erode the teeth because they've got fruit acids they've got food acids in them mm -hmm. so there is a bit of caution about those and if you want something very particular to do with your chewing gum if you've got mature chewing muscles is to make a ball of chewing gum mm -hmm. in the middle of your mouth and you'll need about three little bits to do it to have enough Make a ball and then push it forward with your tongue and flatten it with your tongue against the roof of your mouth. So you spread the whole thing yeah. out and then get your tongue to gather it back up together in a, a ball and then do the same thing. But watch you don't let it go further back than the middle of your tongue. And this is only for mature chewers amongst yeah. you, um, not anybody who's got an immature chewing pattern because that, that wouldn't be safe. Yeah. I'm glancing at my notes again. So I don't. we talked about the secret strategies now. I'm using these more and more with secondary school students um, who do use a chewy perhaps when they're not being seen, mm -hmm. certainly at home, perhaps on the way to school before they meet up with their mates at the mm -hmm. corner. And then they need a secret strategy after that to cope. Mm -hmm. So I showed, showed you the one earlier where you put your thumbs firmly under yeah. your chin and your fingers up by your nose and press your fists together. Mm -hmm. It's quite a hard one to explain for those of you just listening. Other ones that um, you can do in class, which a lot of people do anyway, uh, again, describing it, fold your arms, mm -hmm. and then put one elbow on top of one hand mm -hmm. and put the other fist underneath your chin, press the elbow that's on the table down into the table really hard, press the elbow on top of your hand down into your hand mm -hmm. and press your knuckles up into your chin. Mm. And what that's doing is it's elongating your spine, mm -hmm. your neck is giving pressure to your hands, your elbow, your shoulder joint. And you can hold that for several minutes and it'll just look like you're listening. Yes. But you're actually getting a lot of input. Yeah. And then you can combine that if you need more by pushing the tip of your tongue against the back of your top teeth. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, if you're nervous and anxious, which a lot of chewers are, and your mouth's feeling dry and you can't chew a chewy at that time. Yeah. If you push the tip of your tongue against the back of your teeth, it actually promotes saliva production mm -hmm. so that then you can moisten your mouth again if you're feeling anxious. Mm, that's a good tip. So it's you, and again, it's secret. Nobody's really going to know that you're mm -hmm. doing it. Another one is press your temples. Mm -hmm. So with the pads of your fingers, just press your temples mm -hmm. while you're thinking. And again, yep. that doesn't really alert anybody to what you're doing. No. Squeeze and pull your earlobes. Yeah. So just squeeze and slide them down. Again, not a slow, almost meditative movement. If you think somebody's watching you, it's easier to do with one. Yeah. And you just look like you're quietly thinking. And while you're there, you can press your two finger pads into the top of your jaw, just where your jawbone ends. Yeah. And just press. And again, nobody's going to see you. Yeah. And the one we talked about earlier that's sucking your thumb tip and yes. pushing your thumb either up into your top teeth or just behind mm -hmm. your top teeth yeah. gives you a lot of pressure and the lip rub is very calming so just pads of two fingers mm -hmm. sliding them as if you're putting lip salve on one way mm -hmm. and then the other way and then stop in the middle and give a press mm -hmm. and if you're in private you can do this one in the loo because it makes a little bit of a noise but certainly secondary students tell them to do it when they've nipped into the cubicle is to tap your mouth with your fingers mm -hmm. but open and close your mouth at the same time so oh yeah well oh, i like that one gives a lot of input yeah 
slightly harder if you're trying to be secret in class, yes. but you can certainly do it with your head to the wall yeah. or outside of the classroom. So I'm increasing it. Something I'm trying to develop is more and more secret strategies for the for those older young people yeah. who are trying to get that input. Um, but perhaps school aren't on board with a chewy or they don't actually want their mates to know that they're mm -hmm. chewing a chewy because some children don't. Yeah. Um, so as a mixture, you can use foods, toys, secret strategies, of course, chewies of, of every kind. Um, so there's quite, quite a range we can work with. And that's yeah. not an exhaustive list. And I'm still trying to find more and invent more as I go along. Yes. And the young people tell me what they like as well. Yeah. Say, oh, do you do that? What a fabulous idea. Can I teach somebody <laughs> else that? Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I, I think everyone is going to get so much out of this. It's been really, really useful. I is do there is so. there a final message you'd want to give anyone? Oh, that more research needs to be done about chewing. And it would be lovely if we, because everybody talks about evidence-based practice mm -hmm. and evidence for strategies. It does back up things for um, arguing their use. Yeah. I think we need money for research around chewing yeah. uh, and to proving how helpful it can be in terms of function and helping young people engage with their lives. Yes. Um, and of course, that leads into adulthood because there are adults there who need to chew and they're all around as well. So just more understanding. But yeah. yes, research. I think my final message would be let's find out more. Yes. Because there's a lot out there still to be found. Yeah, great. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. That has been incredibly useful. As ever, I enjoyed chatting to you. Um, and I'm sure we'll get you back another time and we can, because there's so much I could talk to you about. So we'll definitely get you back another time to discuss something else. And we'll certainly do this again when, when we get to the point of revealing more about what we're up to as well. Well, that would be very interesting. I th I'd enjoy that. Yeah. It's been All great right. talking to you, Jenny. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. So that was Saskia. What did you think, Lorraine? Amazing. Like you say, we've known Saskia for a few years. I've done a couple of talks with her at the autism show. And anytime I need advice on chewing, and I know pretty much all there is to know, she, she's just always there. So some of her tips are fantastic. Things you would never think to do. Absolutely. Yeah. It was so good. She really knows her stuff. And I think we'll continue to talk to her and um in the future we'll probably do another one with her and drill a bit deeper into it and yeah. maybe one day we'll be able to reveal to you what this secret project is that we're up to as well which She's is exciting amazing person to know totally um so next week on the interview we have got sleep bum fidget bum Bum. not sleep bum fidget bum um so that's the lovely mel who a bit like ourselves started out with a product aimed more at babies and attracted interest from the sensory world. So that's a really good one because we all know that sleep can be a major issue for children with sensory issues. Um, and she's got a very practical solution in terms of her product, but also she's got other tips and hints to help mm. sleep. Her product is amazing. Yeah. So you've got that to look forward to next week. And as always, um, if you want to get the full version of the 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 podcast which has more tips and content in it than the shorter versions you need to be a vic so come and be a vic sign up on the website honestly you will not regret it because there is so much more to come with this group yeah we've got loads coming yes i just can't wait until we get this website sorted and reveal the the new stuff yeah, yeah. okay well thanks everyone have a great week and we'll chat to you next week yeah, have a lovely bank holiday, everybody. Yeah, bye. bye. You know what?